a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth! So, buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not gonna stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah... Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people on RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori over there at the Patriot Factor. It's Tuesday night. 19th of December, our last show of 2023, and welcome to it. Hello, Diane. Hello, Craig, and boy, am I ready for a break. You and me both. And And I'm ready for this god-awful year to end. Ah, I tell you what, it just seems like a long, drawn-out, rather stagnant year. There's been four or five only major news cycles that have just been recirculating all year long. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, you know, in the beginning it was interesting, but now it's to the point of monotony because nothing is getting done. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a couple of weeks off, folks, and we'll we'll be back on uh, January 9th. And when we come back, then we're going to be coming back on the air right ahead of primary season yes and primaries will take place pretty much throughout the spring and then the conventions in the summer and then on to the election in november so we're going to be busy very very busy but we'll have to keep an eye on one issue that just happened today it just broke a few hours ago really uh the state of colorado has now decided their Supreme Court that Trump cannot be on the primary ballot. And as much as I support someone else beside Trump, he has every right to be on that ballot. Well, this is no different than, you know, Colorado's a blue state. Right. So we've seen what happened in Florida with the Democrat Party, not putting anybody's name on the primary ballot except Biden on on the Democrat side. So this is how uh, the left is engineering uh, a primary coup right now. Uh, They're either going to keep only Joe Biden on the Democrat side, or they're going to work tirelessly keep Trump off the, the Republican primary ballot. So it, It's wrong on so many levels doing that. He has every right to be on the ballot. Thankfully, 
there's a stay right now until I think it's January 4th. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how Trump reacts. I guarantee you there will be lawsuits. Oh, I'm sure there'll be lawsuits, and I'll monitor, you know, Truth Social later today, see what's going on there. Um, it's just it's just wrong. The, the Democrats in Florida, and again, people, you need to understand, Colorado's governor, Florida's governor, have no say in the Biden thing. And now the Trump thing, that is strictly the party's decision. Well, now it's strictly the party decision in uh, Florida. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that holds true for what's happening right now out in Colorado, because it's not the Republican Party that's keeping him off the primary ballot. That's as true. I, as I understand it. Um, this true. is the state of Colorado. Now, Colorado's governor is a liberal lunatic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, go figure. But, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And I, I guarantee you that, you know, there's, there's going to be a dust-up there. And you know, even if they keep him off the ballot, there, there's no reason that Republicans in Colorado couldn't write him in. But that's okay if they, you know, want to write him in. But when something like this happens, you know, you think everybody's going to turn out and do what they think is right. But there's always a lot of trouble with write-in ballots. There is. Now, here's another possibility there. Okay. When, uh, you know, when when everything comes down... um, well, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into that now. Okay. I got to think about it a little bit. But we've okay. got stuff to talk about tonight. Um, sure, Diane. You've got a segment upsetting the convention apple cart. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I like dot dot dot. Maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm talking about gospel truth. Versus honest truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two very interesting segments coming up tonight, folks. Yes. I've, I've had the preview of Diane's. It's fascinating. So. And I've gotten very good response with it. People are saying, wow. Yeah, Don't, I mean, nobody should think they have anything locked up before the convention. Yeah, I mean, th- look, I my my previous article a week ago was about the whole 2024 election being a cluster, you know what? Right. Okay. That holds true even for the convention. This this whole process is going to be like nothing we have ever seen before. True. You know, it's, it's going to be very strange. Now, for my segment, for my commentary this week, surprisingly, I have not gotten a lot of blowback. I've barely gotten any blowback on it. Hmm. Very interesting. You know, when you talk about the Bible, when you talk about, uh, you know, specific events in the Bible, and you bring up what the Bible says versus what we actually factually know 
There's right. A, there's a lot of people out there. I call them the holier than thou's. They they don't really care for that when I do that. But this is one of those cases dealing with Christmas of all things, and I I thought I was going to get some blowback, and I really haven't. It's interesting. That's that's interesting. Let's start tonight with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, who has a beef with Donald Trump. And this pertains, Diane, correct me if I'm wrong, to some television advertising that's been playing in Iowa. Iowa, a very important state when it comes to the no, primaries. No, 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 not, not in Iowa. It's oh, not been in playing Iowa. in Ohio. Oh, okay. Okay, so what's the beef? Basically, Trump has come out and started criticizing and saying not so nice things about Governor Reynolds because she chose to support DeSantis instead of Trump for the Republican nomination. Now, the caveat here is she came out and said he was very good. She supported him in 2016 and supported him in 2020. But she added, it's a different day, it's a different time, and we need a leader that doesn't have, that's not distracted. We need somebody that's focused, somebody that's disciplined, somebody that has a record of getting things done. It's a different time. It's time for a new leader. It's time for a leader that can win. And most importantly, it's time for a leader that can serve eight years, not just four. Well, he went ape all over social media, uh, on Truth Social. He just like, how dare you? Uh, Iowa has a record of supporting whoever the incumbent president was. Well, guess what? He's not an incumbent president anymore. Uh, he's a former president. And he has just gone nuts. And then he started attacking uh, Representative Chip Roy from Texas, who also decided to support DeSantis instead of Trump. You know, I and saw, I, know, hang on, I, I just saw Chip Roy and um, Ron DeSantis were together uh, in Iowa yesterday, and they were interviewed on Hannity last night. Hannity wasn't there. It was Kaylee McEnany that was sitting in for Hannity. And she did a great interview with Chip Roy and DeSantis together. And what Chip Roy said is basically what Governor Kim Reynolds said. And I just wish that either you or I would have thought to have said some of that or written some of that over the past several months. Oh, yeah, right. That's all we've been doing. You know? It seems if you... Anyone, if they dare not to support Trump, even if they say what a great job he did in 2016, which I have done, suddenly you're person non grata. You're no good. How dare you turn on me? You forget it's all about me, 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 me being Trump. Well, Kim Reynolds really had enough of it. Well, good for her. I mean, yes. she's a she's a very interesting governor. I mean, you know, Iowa doesn't make the news a lot until you know the caucuses roll around. Right. Um, you know, and it's it's a it's a rural state, uh, not heavily populated. They don't get a lot of uh, you know uh, college votes, and uh, right. You know, 
it's it's just an interesting situation. And I keep telling people, you know, be careful in Iowa because those Iowa caucus people are nuts. I mean, they are nuts. But uh, it's it's interesting because she came out. It, it's been a while since she endorsed Trump, but now that the caucus is getting close, you now, mean DeSantis or, or DeSantis? Yeah, DeSantis. Right now. All of a sudden, we're getting closer and closer to the Iowa caucus. Now Trump has a problem. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting what um, Chip Roy said in the fact, basically, in a nutshell, he just said, we're tired of losing elections. And what he was talking about was 2022. Almost every candidate that Trump supported lost. Yeah, a few of them won, but a lot of them lost. And, you know, we were supposed to have a red wave in 2022. Yeah, yeah that petered out. That, that really didn't, never came about, you know. Right. And, you know, it, it, Governor Reynolds is right. Chip Roy is right. Um you know, it's it's time for fresh leadership. It's time for somebody that can serve eight years. Exactly. You know, um, we don't need to be looking backwards. We need to be looking ahead at how to fix the mess this country has become. Exactly. Exactly. So I... But here's my question. Why is Trump spouting off in Ohio, about Iowa. I don't know. Well, he's putting out ads all over. That's, you know, that's the thing. He's in every state. Anybody that doesn't support him is getting lambasted. And I guess Ohio follows pretty close, maybe, in the primary order, possibly. I think so. I think that's correct. You know, that that might also be a case. There's also apparently ads going around by Trump in Wisconsin um, because they're not outwardly endorsing him, whatever. Um, It's just very interesting, though. The only one he's not speaking ill of is Ramaswamy. And my opinion, I have nothing proof positive to put this on is I think Raman Swami was a Trump plant. Yeah. I, I you kind of get that impression every time you hear him talk because he goes to these debates and when he's not waggling his finger at the other people on the stage, he's actually supporting Trump from right. the debate stage when he's the one that's running for the nomination against exactly. Trump. So exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty transparent for VP or a cabinet position, but he has no qualifications for any of that. No, no, he does not. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with all that, but good on governor Kim Reynolds. Good for her. Yes. You know, um, let's talk about what's going on over at Arlington cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. There is a Confederate monument with a statue uh, mm-hmm. atop the monument. The The base of the monument is pretty, pretty good size. It towers over pretty much everything in that part of the, 
the you know big cemetery there in Arlington, and then there's a statue on top of it. Well, the army, the woke army, is trying to remove the statue from the pedestal. Uh, but apparently, Diane, they're not keeping very good care of the surrounding graves while they're bringing in all this equipment to remove the statue. Right. Well, the statue is not being removed. There was a hold put on it. I have seen this statue. It's the monument, whatever you want to call it. It is absolutely beautiful. It honors the fallen Confederate soldiers. Whether you are, you know, you were for the North, you were for the South, whatever. It's honoring the fallen soldiers. Right. The army, the woke army, it's important that you know that, folks. This is not the army that used to be. The woke army is totally out of their minds. These are people that fought for They were still Americans, no matter what anyone thinks, no matter what side they were on. They're Americans who gave their lives for what they believed was a just fight. And they've been there, their bodies, whatever, have been there over a 100 years. To take that monument, that statue down, is total defamation of the of their honor, it's it's an insult to their families, for what? Because a certain segment of the population is offended? Well, you know what? Their offending offends me. Well, look, you can take down as many statues as you want. You can uh, take Uncle Ben off the box of rice. You can take Aunt mm-hmm. Jemima off the bottle of pancake syrup and pancake mix. You can do all that you want. Right. Okay? But but here's the problem. You're not going to erase history. The Civil War happened. The South exactly. and the North went to war. Okay? Exactly. Um, you know, we may not like what the South was fighting for. Right. But like you said, nonetheless, they were Americans. It's part of history. You can right. you can you can take down the monuments, you can get rid of the pancake box. But you cannot erase history. And Nor that should history, you try to. No, you're right. And by doing that in a place like Arlington Cemetery, to me, that's desecration of a cemetery. Exactly. Now, to Governor Glenn Youngkin's, um, you know, praise, he has made a deal that the statue will not be destroyed once it's taken down. It's going to be moved to uh, a Civil War museum well, where you know it will what? be on permanent I display. With that. I have a problem with that. That monument and that statue needs to stay where it has been for decades. How dare this woke army desecrate this burial ground? They are 100% wrong. I hope that statue stays exactly where it is. I am sick and tired of these people deciding, well, we don't like this part of history. Like you said, they can't change history. Right. What happened, happened. And with the right president, 
a lot of these statues will start reappearing. Well, I would hope so. Unfortunately, a lot of those statues that have been removed have also been destroyed. And uh, and that, I think, is a crying shame. At least, Yunka, now I agree with you. I think the statue should stay right where it is at Arlington. Okay. And, I, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful monument I, and a beautiful statue. I agree with you that it should stay right where it is. However, apparently the stay of removing it is only for allowing the army to take better care of the surrounding graves in the removal process. Now, I don't know that the stay is going to allow the statue to remain because they've already begun to disassemble it. That's why I say, as far as Governor Yunkin is concerned, at least he's not going to allow that statue to be destroyed. He's going to move the statue and put it someplace where nobody else is going to be able to destroy it. Well, that's not quite true. You know where he wants to move it to? Yeah, the Um, Civil War Museum. No, no, absolutely not. The New Market Battlefield Stadium. State Historical Park in the Shenandoah Valley, if it can't stay in Arlington. Well, if it's in a park, they're going to start there with their crap, too. It needs to stay where it is. Well, I agree, but it's not going to, I don't think. And I would rather have it move someplace where it can still be on display than to have it destroyed. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, we'll find out. Because it's not going to stay there. We'll find out. Um, the stay is through January 1st. We'll find out, I guess, after then. Yeah. Um, I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to have to come up with a quick plan so that they don't trample on any of the graves that are next to it or disrupt them or destroy them so that, you know, they can, they can do this malfeasance. And that's what I think it is. It's malfeasance, uh, to remove the statue at all. But, you know, uh, this is just, you know, you can add this to the list of dumbass things that the liberals are concerned about. You know, our border is a freaking mess. We've got millions upon millions upon millions of unvetted illegal aliens pouring across our border from all corners of this globe. We don't know who they are. There's people from terrorist watch lists that are pouring in. And what are they concerned about? A statue? A bronze statue? Exactly. I mean, it's just another one of the dumbass things that liberals are concerned with when we have actual problems in this country. They don't care. They just do not care. No, nope, they, they want don't. to change history. They want. They want to destroy this country. They want to destroy not only our past, but our present and our future as well. It, yep. it really is that simple. I, I mentioned it last uh, last Friday on the show. It's part of the destruction of American culture. The transformation of America. Yep. Yes. All right. So finally in this segment, who is the most disliked person on Capitol Hill? Well, there's four of them. And it starts with Mike Johnson, 
new Speaker of the House. Right. It moves on to Mitch McConnell. From Kentucky. It, it then goes to Chucky the Clown, Chuck Schumer from New York. Yeah. And Hakeem Jeffries, also from <laughs> New York, the minority leader. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> you know, I, when I looked at that list, I I, I mean, I, I almost could have told you, you know, who the, the four most disliked people on Capitol Hill were without even reading the list. I know. Uh, you know, now I'm surprised that people like Rashid Talib or AOC or, you know, some of them aren't on that list. But I'll tell you what, if Mitch McConnell doesn't get the clue that his day in the sun is done, he is polling at, get this folks, 6% approval. Six. Yeah. Well, this, this list, this official list that was taken and put together was for the leaders. Right. You know, the, Two are the majority leaders, two are, my, are the minority leaders. Rashida Tlaib, AOC, Presley, and Ilhan Omar are probably the most despicable human right. beings ever to set foot in Congress. And that's, that's probably true. You know, it, I mean, it, you, you look at these, you know, the, the four that are named, you know, in this thing. Um I'm not sure why Mike Johnson is on the list other than the fact that he just became the speaker. Because until he became the speaker, nobody really knew who the guy was. That's very true. You know? Um, you know. So, I mean, so, he's, I mean he, he, he's the you know, most hated uh, over on you know the Republican side, the majority side of the House, just because he's the speaker. It's not, it's not that he's really pissed off anybody he just got elected to the speakership now chucky schumer i get it you know chucky schumer's been there forever and and he has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way for decades and decades and decades mitch mcconnell is just i mean that guy is older than dirt he should not be there. And he's got medical problems, too. I mean, how many times yeah. has that guy in the last six months just frozen up in front it's, of a it, microphone? Those are like mini strokes. Yeah. You know, but he he is one of these <clears throat> go along to get along, you know, side with anybody, you know, mm-hmm. to get his way type of deals. He doesn't take a stand on anything. And Nothing. it does not surprise me that even the Republicans – don't like him true i think you're right about that um his time is over you know i never really was totally a fan of term limits because just because somebody is older does not mean that they are like joe biden i always thought it should be on performance what they've done for their constituents But when you think of people like McConnell and Chucky the Clown, there is a good point to term limits. There there is, you know. I mean, it it suddenly seems like a much better idea. Here's here's Mitch McConnell's problem with the Republicans is that he keeps making deals, and they're bad deals, with the liberals. Yeah, that is the problem. I think what he's trying to do – 
he remembers the time of Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan, some of his most successful policies was when he was able to accomplish things through bipartisanship. You know what I mean. Bipartisanship. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so... Yeah, that. (laughs) Um, And I think he's trying in a way to funnel that. I don't think he's an inherently bad person by any means. But I think he's, you know, age and his medical issues, I think he's kind of lost his way and it is time for him to go. Well, I think, you know, I, I agree with that. You know, basically the principle of the fact is he actually fought in the civil war. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think his time has come and gone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the fact that he actually was close personal friends with Daniel Boone, I think is, is enough to say his time is over. It, it could be. Just yeah, it's just you know those four, you know, as leadership. Yep, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they're topping the list. No, it doesn't. But I think a more at this point, I think a more important list is get the anti-American members of Congress out of there. I agree. Yep. And and we all know who's on that list. Folks, right. in about 30 minutes, I'm going to be talking about gospel truth versus honest truth. But when we come back from the bottom of the hour break, Diane has it with upsetting the Constitution, or not the Constitution, the Convention apple cart. Yes. Maybe. 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 Stay yes. with us. There's more Right Side Patriots after this. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out The National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. 
Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot. Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. Getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show. And if you miss any part of it, go to RSPRadio1.com tomorrow morning. Click the podcast button. It'll be there for you. All right, Diane. So we're looking ahead. We're looking at the primaries that lead up to the convention. Now, I said last week this whole thing is a cluster you-know-what. And I think, you, I think you agree. A hundred percent. But you're here tonight to tell us how we can even cluster it up maybe a little bit more. We can cluster it up or we can fix it. Okay, let me start by saying that I voted for Donald Trump twice both in 2016 and 2020. And while he was not my choice in 2016, uneasiness settled over me the minute he started lobbing insults and childish nicknames at those also vying for the nomination, a breach of President Reagan's 11th commandment, and it's quite unpresidential demeanor indeed. I supported Senator Marco Rubio. In fact, I was one of his county co-chairs here in Florida. But I did the right thing and supported and voted for Trump when he garnered the nomination for Hillary or any Democrat was and is never an option for me. And in 2020, I again voted for Trump for he proved himself great for the economy. We became energy independent Inflation was at a 40-year low, and gas prices were kept in check. And his foreign policy initiatives regarding Israel, most especially the Abraham Accords, opened the door for peace between Israel and her Arab nations. But the earlier uneasiness surfaced again when Trump started talking about pulling us out of Afghanistan. After all, he had to know this would allow the Taliban to resurface which they did, thus undoing all the gains the Afghan people had made under U.S. presence. And as we all know, Trump lost in 2020, whether that election was stolen or whether Joe Biden actually did win. Personally, I still believe the election was stolen, as the Democrat machine had four years' time while Trump served his first term to fine-tune the 2020 outcome before the first vote was even cast. And with Trump's 2020 loss, said four years morphed into eight years, eight years for the Democrats to make sure Donald Trump would never again reside in the White House. And if you think the Democrat Party machine hasn't seen to just that in 2024, Craig, you are foolishly mistaken for even Trump himself has to know this as truth. Well, when you look at the situation as it stands today, there are some things that are fairly transparent. What do you see as the greatest fear the left side of the aisle has with Donald Trump? What What is it that's keeping them awake at night? Okay. Remember, the Democrats, the Biden administration most especially, cannot afford to lose in 2024 for fear that Trump, if elected, would fully explode, uh, expose their criminal shenanigans, with the outcome hopefully being that for some, 
Joe and Hunter Biden, and if we're lucky, string puller Obama as well, could see serious jail time being in their future. Why do you think the Democrats are pushing so hard for a Biden-Trump rematch? After all, the fix, in my opinion, has already been locked in. And with the liberal and conservative media both deeming Trump as the party's nominee, even with the nominating convention still a half year away, the all-about-Trump news cycle now morphs into both a ratings win and much-needed mega revenue profits. Happy Democrats, happy media, sickening yet truthful, isn't it? Especially when most Americans do not want a Biden v. Trump rematch. So knowing all I stated as truth, how do and can we stop the Biden-Harris ticket from being reelected, thus further destroying our beloved America? Simply common sense, tangible realities, and eyes wide open must, I repeat, must become the order of the day. And the first reality is that no matter what the polls are now showing, remember polls are usually wrong this far out, Donald Trump should not be the Republican nominee, nor should Joe Biden be the Democrat nominee. A complete change in command is desperately needed if, Craig, if our constitutional republic is to remain functioning and intact. You know, you can look at all the different reasons, and believe me, there are tons of different reasons Mm -hmm. why what you say is true. But can you boil it down to maybe two or three that are uh, really kind of out front and really should be the point of the spear on this? Yeah, I'll give you the top three in my opinion. First, if Trump, as the nominee, did somehow manage to pull off a 2024 win, he would still would remain a lame duck one-term president, which would see the next four years finding him so mired down in new accusations, indictments, and court appearances that little would be accomplished for we the people. Second, if in 2024 we lose the House and do not retake the Senate, both distinct possibilities, especially with Republicans, unlike Democrats, never really being committed to down-ticket voting, anything good proposed by Trump would never be passed as bipartisanship would be non-existent. And whether some on the right want to believe it or not, President Reagan's most successful legislative acts were passed when he worked with a then-Democrat Congress to successfully pass comprehensive immigration and tax reforms. And the last, in my opinion, Trump's ego-driven, childish, narcissistic, it's-all-about-me behavior, coupled with his need for a personal revenge-based campaign, won't allow him to see the truth about polls and how wrong they usually are. Remember, Hillary was deemed to be the nominee in uh, 2008 until Barack Obama actually became said nominee. And Craig Hillary was deemed to be the winner right up until election night in 2016 when Trump proved all the polls wrong. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he did, and she wasn't very happy about it. But, uh, you know, I mean, as they say, 
stuff happens, right? Right. Okay, so basically before you move into, uh, you know, what can happen, what could happen, Mm Uh, you know, as far as the convention is concerned, kind of give us a a bit of a summary of what you've just gone over in this op-ed, and then move into uh, how the conventions, uh, how things can change in the convention yes. if people deem that necessary. And I think they will. Simply, Both parties do need new nominees, as both Biden, for obvious reasons, and Trump should now put their respective egos aside and accept as fact that for the good of our country, it's time to pass the torch to the next generation of leaders. Simply, neither man is right for our country in these most dangerous of times. So, How does someone else, like my first choice, Governor Ron DeSantis, or my second choice, Nikki Haley, become the Republican nominee instead of Donald Trump, especially when the media's too early to be accurate polls, coupled with Trump himself, keep pushing the rhetoric that he, Trump, is already the nominee? For that to happen, we must look at and then redefine the candidate nomination process itself. And while we know that during the months leading up to the primaries, all candidates rightfully do battle it out in early voting states like Iowa and New Hampshire, with usually only one candidate becoming the de facto front runner heading into Super Tuesday, the day when a dozen or more states hold their primaries. And it's here where delegates to the actual nomination convention are chosen state by state with each candidate's delegates, presumably but not always, supporting their respective candidate at said convention. But as stated, that does not always happen and hopefully will not happen this summer. And with primary rules not having been laid out in the Constitution, only general election rules regarding the Electoral College are, leads to the fact that any and all rules regarding the nomination process are set according to both state law and party law, party rules, rules that can and many times are altered and changed at convention. This challenging of the rules will hopefully happen in 2024, especially at the Republican nominating convention, especially if Ron DeSantis and or Nikki Haley has more delegates going into the convention than Trump expected. And here I'll add, if that happens, he won't get the nomination on the first vote. Remember, 56 jurisdictions and delegates to the Republican National Convention, all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and five territories, with each having different rules on how the process works. And while the RNC sets broad parameters nationally, the fact remains that each state can and does make its own rules, rules subject to be changed. That's why we see a plethora of conventions, caucuses, and or primaries on the Republican side, each with their own set of rules. Also, the Republican awarding of delegates in each state is different 
as opposed to how the Democrat Party chooses its delegates. For Democrats, there is no winner-take-all allowed, as proportional contests are the rule. And while here on the surface it seems that the Democrats' way of choosing delegates is more complicated, it's not. It's just better, in my opinion, as it still allows for choice at convention time. Remember, Democrats have a 15% rule set in stone that means any candidate who garners at least 15% of the vote in a given congressional district receives delegates from that district, which are then distributed proportionately among all the candidates who broke set 15% threshold, thus meaning the popular vote is not the nominee deciding factor, Craig it's actually more in line with the constitutionally laid out electoral college style of voting. Well, isn't that kind of contrary to what the Democrats keep shouting about? We want democracy. We want democracy. <laughs> I mean, really, isn't it? Um, but that's not that's not the only difference, is it, between how the Democrats pick their nominee and the Republicans pick their nominee? Absolutely. For Republicans, our party, sadly, shows a basic lack of uniformity regarding the process itself. For example, some states hold winner-take-all primaries where the candidate who receives a plurality, simply that's the one who garners the most votes on the first round of voting, gets all the state's delegates. Other states award delegates proportionately, meaning the delegates are awarded in proportion to what percentage of the vote each candidate receives. And yet other states use an amalgam of both. But to make things even more confusing is that in some states, Republican candidates have to what they call handpick and recruit delegates to stand on a ballot as their supporters, while still other states see their delegates chosen in entirely different contests, as in elected by activists, and only then being assigned to the presidential candidates who emerge from said state's primary, whether said candidate is their personal choice or not. And while it gets even more confusing at the nominating convention itself, the fact remains that guidelines and rules can be changed at convention, meaning that not only does a candidate's campaign have more influence now on how new rules are written, as in being able to adjust the rules to allow their candidate of choice to possibly garner the nomination instead of the presumed front runner. Now, Craig, Add in that the states themselves can reconfigure any rules passed each and every election cycle, upsetting the nomination apple cart indeed. Okay, so... <laughs> it's a mouthful, right? <laughs> well, it, it is, you know. And when I, when I wrote that article about a cluster you-know-what, mm -hmm. uh, apparently I wasn't kidding. Okay, so... We get to the nominating process. We get through the primaries in the spring, Super Tuesday and all the rest, right? Right. We get to the summer. We go to the Republican convention. Right. Okay. Even at that point, can Trump or anybody ha have the nomination locked up, or is it still a free-for-all? 
still a free-for-all, simply for Republicans. No candidate, not even Donald Trump, can enter the Republican convention with a nomination fully locked up unless they have secured primary awarded delegates whose numbers and loyalty to them, or in this case him, is unwavering. No matter that delegates can and many times do change their allegiance at the convention, and it's thanks to the rules being allowed to be changed. And with some never-Trumpers, DeSantis and Haley delegates surely to be amongst those at the convention, courtesy of the proportional state which gives candidates approximately the same share of convention delegates as the proportion of the votes they received in the primaries, we could actually and hopefully see the upending of the now, according to himself and his media cronies, presumed nominee Donald J. Trump. So, dear reader and listener, Think long and hard before you cast your primary ballot as to who really is the best candidate, not just to beat Joe Biden and his puppet master Obama, but who is the best candidate, one with no political baggage in tow, to turn our country back to the right again. Causing commotion and upsetting the political apple cart is one thing, but sometimes the one with the biggest mouth, ego and need for personal revenge is in reality not the best choice for our country. For me, the best choice remains the proven leader and military veteran that is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And for me, that's case closed. It's a very interesting scenario you put forth. And this is why I told people at the top of the show, this is a very fascinating op-ed. Um, the title on this op-ed, Upsetting the Convention Apple Cart, maybe, can be found mm-hmm. at Diane's blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, or by going to rspradio1.com. Either way, right. you can get the article, you can read through it yourself, you can tie yourself in knots trying to figure out exactly how this process works, because I, I guarantee you the the formula for rocket fuel is simpler than how we choose nominations for, right. for, for president. So, you know, but hang on to this because we're only six months away from when yeah, the conventions and, hit and you want to see how this process plays out. Yeah. And our way of choosing delegates, it's really screwed up. It's like Craig said, it's a cluster, you know what? There's too many states with two different or I should say too many ways of choosing. There's no uniformity in our party. We're not big proponents of of downline voting like the Democrats are. There's too many too many things that can happen with the yeah. way we choose our delegates. It, it and just, it's happened before where the presumed Republican nominee did not become the nominee. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is kind of a free-for-all when you get to the convention floor. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you can pretty much go into the convention and say, well, you know, the candidate that's clearly leading may not get it on the first ballot, may not get it on the second ballot, but eventually they will get it. This year, you can't really say that. This election no. cycle, you can't really say that. Now, let me go back to something we 
talked about at the very beginning of the show, because this is where it plays in. Okay. Okay. And if, if folks, if you remember at the beginning of the show, I brought something up and then I stopped myself and I said, nope, this isn't the time. Well, now is the time. Okay. okay. The breaking news earlier today was that Trump has been knocked off the ballot in the primary ballot in the state of Colorado. Right. Now, is it possible, and I don't know that even you, after doing all the research to put this op-ed together, Diane, I'm not even sure you know the answer to this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Is it possible that Colorado could award delegates to Donald Trump even if he's not on the ballot, regardless of a write-in campaign? I don't know where Donald Trump is polling in the Republican race in the blue state of Colorado right now. I have no idea. No, I uh, write in ballots. There has never been a successful write in yeah, candidate. That's what I'm saying. Take the write in. I'd say, regardless of what happens with the write ins, I, if, I, can the Republican Party in the state of Colorado award delegates to Donald Trump, whether he gets them uh, on, on any kind of ballot or not? Um, I, I don't think if you're not a, an official candidate on that particular ballot, I, I, I think there would be I, a lot of legalities involved well, in that. I would think so too, but I think it's, I think it bears looking into because if this is going to be the ploy in blue states to keep anybody, I don't care who it is, any one person off the ballot, then when it comes down to the convention, with with all the different possibilities at the convention for awarding delegates to this person or that person or the other person, could that come into play? I have no idea, but it would certainly make the whole system more of a you-know-what cluster, you-know-what, than it is right now. Yeah, it could, uh, uh, but I think the determining factor is going to be at the convention self, at itself. Donald Trump is going to go in with a certain amount of committed delegates. Right. But DeSantis and Haley are going to have their delegates there too. Right. My hope, and I've alluded to this before, my hope is that DeSantis and Haley team up. There is no law that says that the nominee for president cannot announce who their VP would be. My hope upon hope is that Ron DeSantis goes in as president and he announces Nikki Haley as his running mate. I think that would be a totally undefeatable pair because Ron DeSantis has so proven himself as far as governor and how he, you know, performed with the hurricanes and COVID and this and that. Florida, where the top schools in the country, our economy is soaring, you know, all of that. Nikki Haley is UN ambassador standing up to those horrible Muslim nations. She is an expert in foreign policy. 
a Haley, I should say a DeSantis Haley ticket, I think would would be tremendous. Their two amount of delegates together at convention time, I think can stop Trump. I, I think you're right. Now, I got to ask the obvious question. Mm-hmm. I know you want DeSantis at the top of that ticket. Right. But what if we get through the primaries and Nikki Haley has outperformed DeSantis in the primaries? I have no trouble with Nikki Haley. The only problem I have with Nikki Haley is the big money she's getting now. It's from Democrat Wall Street. That's going to come back to bite her. Those are not Republican donors. Okay. That, But if she garnered the nomination, I would have no problem voting for her. Okay. So let's say, let's say, just for the sake of argument, Mm-hmm. Because you know, because we're talking about cluster, you know what's here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say, just for the sake of argument, that when the primaries are over, Nikki Haley has more votes than Ron DeSantis. Okay, and, and, and let's say they they make a deal, as you suggest, going into the convention, we're going to mm-hmm. team up and we're going to put mm-hmm. our delegates all together, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that big money that she's gotten from liberals on Wall Street then become the the money behind the Haley DeSantis DeSantis Haley ticket? It it could it could be or look. I know I know it's money, th- I know there's it's dirty money all over the place in politics. Let's be right. honest here. Um. At this point, I so want the next generation of leaders to take over. I so want somebody with with actual military fighting experience in the White House or the VP White House. Right. I have no trouble with the DeSantis Haley ticket. I would have no trouble with a Haley DeSantis ticket. I just want a change in command. Right. right. It's necessary. It's necessary. However, I think, I don't think this country right now, I'm not saying in the future, but right now, I don't think a woman candidate would pull it off. She would need somebody strong like DeSantis as the vice president. She right. would have to have that. And certain important things would have to be delegated to him. Like he would have to be, with her as president, Ron, you handle the border. Right. Right. And I get that. Okay. My last question, we only have one minute left Okay, in okay. this segment. My last question is this. Let's say it happens the way you see it possibly happening at the convention. Mm-hmm. Can that ticket, whichever one's at the top of it, can right. that ticket beat Biden if the only Trump cult doesn't vote for him? I still think it can for the simple reason. The independents are not behind Trump. The independents, I think, would go to one of those two tickets only because the independents are hurting just as bad as everybody else with the economy yep that's that's true 
I mean, and I think that would be a big, big factor. I'm, I'm just trying to throw more confusion into the mix, apparently, as well. Yeah. Well, it's a cluster, you know what. It, it is. <laughs> Folks, grab Diane's article, get the link, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com or rspradio1.com. With that, we've come to the top of the hour. we got to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm talking about gospel truth versus honest truth. More to come on Right Side Patriots after this. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot and Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. Getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show. If you miss any part of it, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning. Click that podcast button. This show and all the rest will be there waiting for you. Yes, it will. All right, Diane. So this week with Christmas less than a week away, I decided to take an honest look at the story of the birth of Jesus as related in the Bible. Um, a lot of people, you know, look at that story and they take it as the gospel truth, but is it the honest truth? That's the question. Okay. Good question. Well, I put together a commentary, gospel truth versus honest truth. Christian or not, we all know the story of the first Christmas or more accurately, the story of the birth of Jesus. What we know has been related to us from biblical accounts, and Christians take those as the gospel truth. But is the gospel truth really the truth? Probably not, and there are political reasons for that. 
What we read in the Bible was related orally for years, decades, and in some cases centuries before being written down by mere men, later translated by mere men, and perhaps most importantly, later edited by not-so-mere men as in kings to be used for more political purposes. Common sense dictates that the stories told orally over any period of time change or become embellished and bear often elements of bias related to the perspective of the storyteller. Translations often alter such stories as well, and ultimately, political rulers of the day edit such stories in whatever way suits their needs. There is a good deal of evidence, even in the biblical text, that would lead us to believe that the birth of Jesus most likely took place in mid-September, yet we celebrate in late December. Why? Well, because early Christians were trying to convert the pagans, and the pagans celebrated the winter solstice in late December in order to extend the celebration of Saturnalia, and hopefully win over the pagans, early Christian leaders invented a late December birthday for Jesus. Celebrating Christmas on December 25th was a political move first made by Roman Emperor Constantine in 336 AD. Constantine, the emperor of Rome and a political figure, also plays a key role in yet another aspect of the gospel truth that is most likely at odds with historical truth in the story of the birth of Jesus related to where that event took place. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke are the only two to relate the story of the birth of Jesus, and they tell us that Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the purpose of paying taxes and being counted in the census, and that Mary gave birth while in Bethlehem. Diane Constantine, the emperor of Rome, sent his mother Helena to the Holy Land in 325-326 AD to search for relics, and she and you know sites i should say related to the birth of jesus and other places related to the life and the eventual death of jesus and what most people don't realize is that helena is very central to the core of christianity itself because she was looking and determined what she believed to be the exact spot of his birth well, that's right. It was Helena who marked what she was led to believe was the exact spot of the birth of Jesus, and Emperor Constantine then commissioned a church to be built on that spot to mark it for all time. The Church of the Nativity was built in 330 AD, some 300 years after the event, and is now considered one of the holiest sites in all of Christianity. But did Helena choose the correct spot? Probably not. From Nazareth to Bethlehem, where the Church of the Nativity is found, would have been an arduous journey of nearly 90 miles. At best, traveling two and a half miles per hour across tough terrain, Mary and Joseph would have made the journey in roughly four days. But remember, Mary was nine months pregnant, and in such a journey, including several overnight stays in outdoor conditions, in just four days would have been brutal. Now, moving slower would have required more wilderness overnights, but 
it would have been less stressful on a woman in that condition. But any way you cut it, such a long trip would have been very hard indeed. And remember, the reason for the journey was taxes and a census. While there is historical reference for such things, history does not match the story's timeline very well. Galilee was the domain of King Herod, and prior to 4 BCE, nobody had to make such a journey to Bethlehem for the purpose of paying taxes, as everybody in Herod's kingdom would have been taxed equally regardless of where they lived within that kingdom. The census under Quininius historically did not take place until 6 AD, and those who lived in Galilee, where we find Nazareth, the home of Mary and Joseph, were only subject to the taxes imposed by Herod. Bethlehem was under Roman rule, and thus, Diane, Joseph, would not have been subject to Roman taxes. That's a big sort of picadillo, if you will, in the story, because the story we've been told over these many centuries, the reason he went to a particular place was because he had to pay taxes at that place, and it just doesn't jive. No. Given the historical evidence, how do we explain the story of Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem to pay taxes to be counted in and the eventual building of the Church of the Nativity some 300 years later in Bethlehem. Helena most likely chose the wrong Bethlehem. There were two Bethlehems, and there still are. There's the one where we find the Church of the Nativity some 90 miles from the home of Joseph and Mary in Nazareth, and the other Bethlehem in Galilee, less than four and a half miles from Nazareth. Now think about that for a moment. It makes much more sense for Joseph and Mary, with Mary being nine months pregnant, to travel a scant four and a half miles than to journey nearly 90 miles, and Joseph would not have been subject to Roman taxes in the Bethlehem where we find the Church of the Nativity. He would have been subject to taxes in Herod's kingdom of Galilee where we find both Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary lived, and the other Bethlehem. So, how did Helena get it so wrong? Well, Rome was the first political entity to convert to Christianity, and Constantine, being the emperor of Rome 300 years after the birth of Jesus, needed to make Rome an integral part of the story in order to truly claim to be central to the story. He made sure that the birth of Jesus took place under Roman rule. And Diane, while the timing of the birth of Jesus and the location problems can be attributed to intentional manipulation for political purposes, can we say that the gospel truth of the stories told in Matthew and Luke are the actual truth? In a word, I think, no. Well, what you see going on here is things kind of like what we see going on today. Facts, places are manipulated to fit a political agenda. Remember, Constantine was the king. He had to make himself look good. He also, as a new convert to Christianity, wanted his 
domain to be central to the story. Right. Look, in the Gospel of Luke, the assertion is that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem upon an imperial command that all individuals return to their ancestral towns, quote, that all the world should be taxed, unquote, thus linking the location to the Roman Empire, which, as I already explained, simply was not the case. According to the real truth, rather than the gospel truth, is the fact that Despite being ardent keepers of records, there is no historical evidence or record indicating Emperor Augustus ever ordered that individuals return to their ancestral towns for taxation or census purposes. Further, there is no historical record for Quininius ever issuing such an order, and he was not even the governor of the region at the time of the birth of Jesus. The book of Matthew, however, does not bring up taxes or the census. The book of Luke tells of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus fleeing Egypt to avoid Herod's decree that all male children under the age of two be murdered due to fearing a new king being born in his kingdom, while Matthew leaves all of that out. And Diane, there are important differences which render the story suspect in that they don't even come close to matching regarding such important events. But there's more. Only Matthew mentions a special star, excuse me, excuse me, a star supposedly guiding the wise men. Luke makes no mention of that. Matthew said shepherds rejoiced and brought gifts to the baby. Luke makes no mention of shepherds at all. Well, it leaves you with certain possibilities here. First, only one can be right because they're really quite contradicting in their words. So one of the stories has to be right, either Matthew or Luke. Or the other possibility is none of it happened according to to how either one of those men wrote it. Well, the only two accounts in the Gospels regarding the birth of Jesus are contrary to each other, and it's impossible to reconcile the stark differences. What we can say is that they both can't be correct. And to be perfectly honest, we don't really know who the authors of Matthew and Luke really were, but scholars, both historical and biblical, agree that neither were actual witnesses to the birth of Jesus. Neither original manuscripts exist, and what we have are translations produced by the Greeks written in the 2nd or 3rd century, which means that the stories were passed down for generations for at least 200 years before being translated either from earlier written manuscripts or orally leaving the exact words a historical mystery. One thing widely agreed upon, however, by scholars is that the Greek translations clearly read like Greek originals, not translations from other languages. What do we know, or or what we do know, is that whoever the original authors were, they had a bias bent to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah foretold in ancient Jewish stories and texts, which helps to explain why it was so important to have the birth of Jesus take place 
in the Roman-controlled Bethlehem rather than in the Bethlehem of Galilee, as Joseph needed to be a descendant of King David to fulfill the scriptural account of the Messiah being born in the city of King David's birth. And Diane, finally, maybe we should examine the gospel truth versus the real truth regarding the Magi. Well, here again, we have two conflicting accounts. One man, Matthew, talks about the the Magi. Luke doesn't mention them at all. So what is it? Did they exist? Didn't they exist? Or, you know, where did this come from? (laughs) That's a good question. Matthew goes into detail regarding the traveling Magi and their meeting with Herod, who would order the murder of all male children up to two years of age so as to prevent a rival to his power. The book of Matthew says, and I quote, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Unquote. The book of Matthew then goes on to state, and again I quote, And when they, the wise men, had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, According to Matthew's account regarding the decree of Herod, Jesus would well have been two years old before the Magi ever set eyes upon him. And when they did, again, according to the book of Matthew, they did so in a house, not in a stable, not in a grotto. If you hold with Matthew's version of the story, that would set the meeting between the Magi and Jesus in Egypt. On the other hand, if you hold with Luke's version of the story, that meeting would have taken place in Nazareth. But there's yet another glaring disconnect between the two versions of the story. Matthew goes into great detail regarding the part that the Magi played in the story of the birth of Jesus, but Luke never once mentions the Magi at all. So, where does that leave us in the search for the real truth of the birth of Jesus? Two Bethlehems, tax and census, or no historical record of any such mandate by meticulous record keepers, an unusual star to be followed, or no star to be followed, a church of the nativity located most likely in for political reasons by the emperor of Rome 300 years after the fact, a version of the story manipulated for religious purposes to fit an ancient narrative, shepherds or no shepherds, flight to Egypt or a simple return home to Nazareth, magi or no magi, undetermined authors, and Diane, the earliest manuscripts, which read more like Greek originals than they do translations. Yeah, well, that leaves you at the point when you hear the Christmas story, the birth story on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day at church. What do you believe? Do you believe Matthew's version? Do you believe Luke's version? And I think that maybe the difference in the two versions also helps explain a little bit the rift in the church. Well, it could very well. That's that's a good point. Look, if you go to a Christmas Eve church service, you will be told the gospel truth, not the real truth, 
And the honest truth is that by the time the only two versions of the story to appear in the Bible were authored some 40 or 50 years later, two vastly conflicting accounts of the event, the reality of it, most likely a rather unremarkable event, had been lost. Understand that belief is defined as the acceptance of a thing or an alleged thing without proof or evidence of it. What we actually know of the birth of Jesus is severely limited, but what we believe without proof or evidence is most likely a wildly embellished narrative crafted to fit a specific religious bias and then tweaked for political purposes. After all, a mundane birth in a stable with no fanfare would not have been anything out of the ordinary some 2,000 years ago and would have been lost to the ages rather quickly. But when you add in the embellishments, the intrigue, the hardships, the mystical, and the political bias, well, now you have a story that people will tell for thousands of years. Simply put, where the gospel truth is concerned, the honest truth is never enough. And might I add to the honest truth is never enough? Many times, because people don't want to hear the honest truth, it becomes a lie to them. Yeah, it, you know, I, I've always said having blind faith is easier than thinking. Yep. You know, and. Unfortunately, we see that uh, a lot. There, you know, people take these stories from the Bible, whether it's the birth of Jesus or any other story, and they they take it on blind faith because, well, the Bible says so, right? You know. Now we know that you know a lot of the people that the Bible talks about certainly existed. We have archaeological proof. We have scientific proof. We have recorded proof as you know as in writings from other entities outside of the bible that mention people so we know people existed and we know places existed for the same reasons you know we have archaeological we have scientific and we have documented proof outside of the bible that places existed but what mm-hmm. were the actual conversations what were the minute by minute happenings well those are where the embellishments take over. You can you can look at almost any story in the Bible and you can say, well, there's probably a basis in truth to the story, but the story that we know today has certainly been embellished over decades, centuries, and thousands of years. Well, one story that comes to mind is the one about the pillar of salt. And, you know, the the Bible says that she was turned into a pillar of salt from Sodom and Gomorrah and God's revenge, whatever. Well, actual tangible, archaeological, and scientific proof have shown that there was volcanic action in the area at that time. What she was covered in was volcanic ash. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, I mean, centuries, in fact— it was mm-hmm. thought that that Sodom and Gomorrah were maybe mythical cities. They were right. con- contrived for the purpose of telling a story. However, science has proved and archaeolog- archaeologists have found the remains of those two cities. So we know right. the cities existed. And like you said, we know that scientific events took place. 
which, let's face it, people thousands of years ago would have had no understanding of. They put those things in terms they could understand. You know, if, if something, if a volcano erupted and, you know, flaming rocks came out of the sky and ash dumped on everybody and everything, they said, well, that was an act of God. God did that. God was mad. Yeah. God God did that. They had no idea how volcanoes work scientifically and you right. know so they did the best they could, but over the years those stories obviously got embellished. Yes. You know, absolutely. And and we should not expect any different from the birth of Jesus. You know, for instance, we know that whoever the authors were of Matthew and Luke, they weren't there. They didn't see it. They weren't part of it. Right. You know, they 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 don't tell it in the first person, I saw this. We know they didn't. Okay. Right. We've got two stories that are wildly conflicting. You would think that something as important to one story as the Magi, the gifts they brought, the star they followed, the meeting they had with Herod, Herod's decree to them that he was going to kill all male children under the age of... We, you would think that would be such an important part of the story. It would be contained in both Matthew and Luke, but it's not. It's not. And, um, you know, there's even scientific explanations for the so-called star that the Magi saw. And one of them is that, you know, as the Earth circles the sun and all that and the planets circle, at certain times, certain planets appear brighter than normal in the sky. Yeah. And there's many believe who believe that that's what happened at the time, let's say, of the Magi, if you follow the the Matthew version, that what happened, either Mars, Uranus, whatever, was closer to the Earth at that time, hence it appeared brighter right. as a shining star to the people on the ground. They didn't know anything about planets and what stars were and what they did or didn't do. It's just... It's amazing to me how 21st century man and woman could be so dedicated to something written thousands of years ago without taking it into the times and the context of when it was written. Well, the moral stories, like you said in the beginning, they're great. There are great moral lessons in the Bible, but that doesn't mean the facts that they consider facts are really what happened. Well, and, and let me take that a step further, if I can. You know, sure. you talk you talk to a lot of these people that that take it on blind faith that mm-hmm. every word in the Bible is true, and they will tell you oh, yeah. unequivocally that every word in the Bible is the word of God. Absolutely. Okay, now, let me ask a a very simple question. If every word in the Bible is the word of God, would not God tell the same story when when it's being repeated twice in the Bible? I would think so. I would would, absolutely think so. Would God tell the story with Magi and a star and Herod and and this death decree and, and all of this to one person and then leave all of that out? telling it to another person i mean you know there are certain things that just don't make sense but you know 
Belief, as I said, is the acceptance of a thing or alleged thing without any evidence or proof. And I put up a thing on Facebook the other day with a link to this uh, article that, that just said, do not confuse blind faith with a moral compass. Right. They're totally two different entities. And I, for one, I want proof of something before I take something as fact. And I'm talking about anything. I want to see your proof. I want to see your homework, if you will, how you are coming about saying this is truth. You have to believe this. No, you can question You can search for answers. You don't have to blindly follow things to believe something. There's a difference between blind following also and belief. Yeah, that's true. You know, now I thought I was going to get blowback from this commentary. Honestly, I really didn't get much. Now, it may still be coming. You know, it's only been up since yesterday, so it it could still be coming. Oh, Craig, Um, it's coming when Facebook moves you up in the feed. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true, you know. But I'll tell you what, I did get a lot of likes and I did get a lot of shares. I think people, maybe some people anyway, understand that while the stories are great and and the morals that we learn from the stories in the Bible uh, are certainly worth learning, that we can't take every single word in the Bible as gospel truth. Right. Okay, so you can find my commentary, Gospel Truth versus Honest Truth, at my blog, thenationalpatriot.com. You can find Diane's op-ed this week, Upsetting the Convention Apple Cart, maybe, at her blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, or you can save yourselves a lot of time and hassle if you just go to rspradio1.com because my link and her link are both there. They're on the front page. You can read them both and hopefully share them both. But, you know, do yourselves a favor and, and give gospel truth versus honest truth at thenationalpatriot.com a read. Yes. With that, Diane. Good articles. Yes. Yeah, we're we're out of time. This is the last show of 2023 for us. Yes, we'll be back on July 9th with new articles. Wait, wait. And- Not July 9th. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the convention. <laughs> <laughs> January, January 9th. January 9th with oh, yeah. new articles and more discussion on the important news of the day. Not not that I wouldn't like a longer break, but July 9th is really pushing it. I know. Oh, God. <laughs> a, a, a convention just popped into my head because of something I'm looking at. <laughs> Diane, why don't we wrap this show up? Yes, we shall. And with that, I will say I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and spend time with family and friends and try to put politics aside just for a little bit. Have yourselves the best rest of the year possible. If you're traveling, travel with care. Share your time and your your love with family and friends. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you next year. Bye-bye. <laughs>